This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Oh, hey, John. Uh, would you give us that intro lick? John. John. Okay, there he goes. Welcome to Dexplanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, watched some YouTube about it, and I'm explain it to my friend David Girondel. Yeah, you are. David, hey there. Hey. Hey. Um, before you ask me what the episode is, I just want to say Susan reached out on Instagram to let us know that a hectare is roughly 2.5 acres. We were talking about Oh, it so it's quite a bit bigger than an acre then. bigger, and I was completely wrong. Because I was Man. saying just based All on right. what... And so, we were talking about the Morrigan... Which yeah. is a unit of measure in which it's how, how many much, how yeah it's how much land you could plow in, in a the, morning with one ox yeah, right exactly and that's a f- like it was actually point eight hectares okay but that's still like more than two probably yeah that's over acres. two acres right yeah that's and a decent that's amount still fucking a lot like to I've plow in obviously like four hours. never plowed behind a a cow well or it's an a ox, ox. yeah. yeah. I never plowed behind an ox, but shit, I can't imagine that you could actually do that much in a day. Yeah, in I morning, think in reality, in it really depends on the soil, Oh, right? the soil and uh, your prowess. From what I understand, uh, Germany really kind of like went from being kind of like a barbarian backwater into like a really civilized region after the development of like the heavy iron plow. Oh. Because basically their their soil was like so laden with clays that like you plows even... that were invented for the Mediterranean, the Middle East, didn't work up there. They didn't really do anything. Yeah. So like, how could you develop an agricultural society exactly without the ability to like really till the land, do some good plowing? Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, now you can ask me what the episode is. All right. What are we gonna learn about today? We're gonna talk about domesticated foxes. Oh, hell yeah. All right. You heard about them? Yeah, in Russia. Yep. Um, So Wikipedia says, The Russian domesticated red fox is a form of the wild red fox, which has been domesticated to an extent under laboratory conditions. Yeah. Yeah, and they're actually the result of an experiment that was designed to demonstrate how selective breeding can transform a species, as was described by Charles Darwin. Yeah, actually, for a long time, people believed that there was something special about domestic species, mm-hmm. but now it's wa- more widely believed that given the right, like the right conditions, you could domesticate just about anything. But there's there are still things that make it much harder to domesticate sure. something. Like horses versus zebras. If you tame the lead horse in a group, because the rest of the social. horses will the rest of the horses will follow. Mm. Um, it's a hierarchical structure. And there's with zebras, things. that's not the case. If you tame, if you grab one. Uh, the others just leave it. Yeah, yeah. You'll never find a zebra and to they're be mean. submissive to you. Yeah, and they're fucking mean, too. They're probably really harder to tame, yep. which is a thing we'll get into. Um, so, yeah, there are there are reasons, but like now given modern techniques and modern like, oh, yeah. technology, it you 
basically sky's the limit if you're willing to spend a lot of time doing it. Like right now, the domestic fox is not a separate species from the red fox. No, it's not. Like the domestic dog is a separate species from the wolf. Yep. Um, so yeah, but this experiment was designed to replicate the process that produced dogs from wolves. Okay. Um, and so like in each generation, only the tame foxes were allowed to breed. Sure. Um, and the program was started in 1959 by Russian zoologist Dmitry Belyayev. Belyayev? Mm. Um, and it's still going today. I know that it is zoologist, though, not Zo- zoologist. No yeah, because it's Z O O logist. So it's zoologist. Hmm. I know. Weird, right? That is really weird. When I went and stated that as my major uh, <laughs> at LCC when I first started, my academic advisor was like, well, if you're going to be that, you might as well know how to pronounce it. <laughs> That's fucking funny. Yeah, it informed me. <laughs> um, but yeah, those uh, their research project, Belyayev's, is still going on, though he's died, and now it's headed by his first original assistant, Lyudmila Trut. <laughs> so let's talk about the <laughs> history, initial premise, and hypothesis of the experiment. Okay. Um, so it started by Belyayev and other scientists who were interested in the process by which wolves became dogs. One thing that Belyayev and the other scientists were interested in were how adult dogs keep juvenile traits. Which is okay. neonteny. Neonteny, yeah. Yeah. And both physical and behavioral traits. So, like, for example, dog skulls are unusually broad for their length, and then dogs have floppy ears. Yep. And then on the behavioral side, it's like how dogs whine, bark, and readily show submission. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically, they just act like puppies, puppies. their whole pup- wolf puppies their yeah. whole lives. Um, and so they were like really heavy believers in Mendelian genetics, which was ask, actually a risky thing to be involved in at the time. In Russia? Mm-hmm. Because Joseph Stalin supported the idea of Lysenkoism, which was a pseudoscientific stance that rejected Men- Mendelian inheritance. Oh, really? Yeah. I had no idea. It also rejected the concept of the gene and natural selection. What did it prefer? Um, here's a quote from Wikipedia. Proponents falsely claimed to have discovered, among many other things, that rye could transform into wheat and wheat into barley, that weeds could spontaneously transmute into food grains, and that, quote, natural cooperation was observed in nature as opposed to natural selection. Okay, okay. I think think I've heard of what this fits into. So there were basically a bunch of quacks who were willing to take government money Mm-hmm. Um, to to false basically, they just went out and falsified a bunch of experimental data, and like returned all these false experiments. And they were like, we can actually and, grow agriculture so much if we just reject these notions. Yep. Uh, and they would basically just like accept millions of dollars for years and years until the finally the jig was up when they produced no results, or sometimes it never they, was. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure if Lysenko actually knew that he was being full of shit or not. Because I didn't look that that far into it, um, but it's well. I mean, come on, he couldn't have observed those things. Oh no, no, but he could have. Like, and so he knew he was full of shit. I'm sure he did. Yeah, you can't be so stupid as to 
be a scientist in the fucking 50s and come up with that bullshit yeah. and so um no. so yeah stalin was really into lysenkoism but after his death in 1953 remember the experiment that we're talking about started in 59 right so after stalin's death in 53 um like it started to be more acceptable to talk about mendelianism or literally even express your own views and under Nikita Khrushchev, biologists could talk about those views, but they weren't allowed to criticize Lysenkoism. I see. Um, but the ban on Mendelianism wasn't actually officially lifted until the mid-1960s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, you could say that you have your own views or whatever, but you couldn't, like, really be like, yeah, it's Mendelianism. Right. Until afterwards. You probably had to dress things up kind of nicely for the party. Mm. So, yeah, let's talk about this experiment. The New York Times wrote that in Siberia, Belyayev was able to study genetics and relative freedom. That makes sense. Because he's so the fuck far up there. Yeah, no one's going um, out there to check out check yeah. up on you. So it was probably a calculated attempt to thwart those Lysenkoists. Yeah, it makes sense. A lot of scientists did the same thing in that era. Mm. And what he was worried about is, like, other scientists before him, he couldn't figure out which, which mechanism actually accounted for the differences in anatomy, physiology, and behavior that were obvious in the dogs. Okay. Um, but he was confident that the an- answer laid in Mendelian inheritance. Right, okay. Um, Not this weird. <laughs> they morphed. Yeah, he believed in Darwin. And Darwin recognized that domestic animals were different in several ways from their counterparts. But nobody knew what guided the selection for the Neolithic people who domesticated animals in the first place. Oh, right. It would just be speculation. Yeah. And then, like, the other thing is Darwin noticed that, like, domesticated animals often have spotted coats, while the wild counterparts usually have, like, solid coats. Right, or countershading. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talked about how it existed in like a wide, in a wide degree, among like several domesticated species. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Think about like cattle, yep. uh, even goats, dogs, cats. And he even brought up non mammalians like chickens and even a few fish. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. spotted koi. Um, yeah, and then you got tons of you got like the barred rock, which isn't quite spotted, but it's it's a chicken. But it's okay. like the white and black one or yeah. the gray and black one wouldn't yeah. actually do that well in nature. You'd spot it immediately because <laughs> of the pattern. Yeah. Um, so Belyayev hypothesized that all domesticated species have been selected for by a single criterion, tameness. So like just basically okay. the ability to be around humans. I think he's. I think he was a lot closer than anybody else in Russia at his time, but I think he's kind of off base. I think oh, it was yeah. different for different animals, but for dogs, certainly. Yeah. Um, and he further theorized that this attribute, quote, had dragged along with it most of the other features that distinguished domestic animals from their wild forebears, like droopy ears, patches of white fur, and changes in skull shape. Okay, it seems to me he's mostly thinking of mammals when he's talking about Oh, this. yeah, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Like the changes in skull like shape. If I'm thinking about chickens only. or something like that, I think mostly they're bred for egg production, right? And oh, then yeah. later on for their size. Yeah. They were not bred for their size early on. But they were bred for their feather, their 
uh, patterns because they were important in a lot of religious rituals back in India where they come from. Yeah. And then um, they were also bred for egg production. Oh, yeah. A little bit later on. It's, uh, interestingly, archaeology says that they were first bred for their feathers before they were bred for any, like, That's uh, kind of interesting. Production Even purpose. before eggs. Before eggs, before meat, they were bred for their feathers, for their appearance. Huh, that's kind of cool, actually. Um, but yeah, so because he believed that tameness was the critical factor, he wondered if a breeding program that selected for tameness and against aggression would result in hormonal and neurochemical changes, since behavior ultimately comes from biology. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah. I've, always, I've always wanted to grow up to be a mad scientist who fled to, like, you know, some remote region of the world and just, like, basically did the same thing, but also yeah. with, like, some artificial, like... Oh, uh, yeah. Some, like, uh, gene splicing, some CRISPR. Put some CRISPR in there. Just, also like, put some... Make some super awesome... Also, if you're starting right now, you might as well start with some world. artificial intelligence in there. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Give, them, give myself a telepathy chip and then give them a telepathy <laughs> chip so that, so like, like, I have, like, superpower telepathy with all of them. You're like the Palpatine during a Yeah, war. I can see through their eyes. <laughs> um, just be like, mm, do it. Do it. <laughs> do um, it. Kill him. <laughs> fucking do it, <laughs> you pigs. <laughs> <laughs> no, not pigs. They creep me out. I know. That's Except why you do it. the furry ones. Evil pigs that were like... They'll turn on me. They'll sense my fear and turn on me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm turn on I'm you. not going to do monkeys or pigs. Oh, monkeys would creep me out too. Yeah, no apes, monkeys, or pigs. <laughs> I'm going to do like otters. Otters, yeah. Because if you're not fighting with them currently, you could just like hang out with a lot of them. Yeah. And if they're like being they'd be your... Really fun and if they'd be your servants, them. then it would be like really nice to have them around. Yeah. I would have to establish dominance early on. Uh, I'm the papa. <laughs> Let's get back into this. Yeah, all right. We got a little bit off topic there. <laughs> so uh, in order to start the experiment, Believ asked Trut, his original head assistant, who was then a graduate student, to visit various Soviet fur farms and to, quote, select the calmest foxes she could. So she did just that. She went around went to mostly a commercial farm in Estonia and got 30 male foxes and 100 vixens. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of foxes. Um, and like we were saying, the only thing that they were supposed to be selecting for was tameness. Yeah. So she was like already starting by picking only the, the calmest ones calmest she could ones. find. In order to make sure their tameness was a result of genetic selection and not of experimental influences, they were never, ever trained. Okay. And they spent actually most of their life in cages. I see. It looked kind of shitty, honestly. Yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah. Um, they were also only ever allowed brief contact with humans. Huh. That makes sense, though. I mean, that yeah. part makes sense for the experiment. Yeah. The cages fucking sucks. Right? Living I feel home. like you could just, like, tag them and let them be in a big... Yeah, like, let them out into a big one, like, on a timer. Yeah, well, I saw, like, this thing on YouTube. There's this, like, this place in Japan. Dozens and dozens, like, over a hundred, I think, foxes live there. Oh, really? There's just this park that you can go around and walk in, and there's just, like, foxes everywhere. That sounds fun. Right? Yeah, that sounds really fun. You can buy food, I think, for them and stuff. But, um, 
Yeah, why wouldn't you do something? So they probably are doing something similar because they probably don't allow the aggressive ones to keep living there. Yeah, I don't know exactly so probably, what like, the situation is for it. I mean, I don't think it's near any like. Yeah, I, I don't know what the situation is with those foxes because huh. they live like in an enclosed park. Yeah, they're not. Well, it wild. must be like that. Yeah. Well, I they mean, are, they are wild, but they're not in the wild. No, yeah, they're not domesticated. No. So yeah, like we were talking about, they were not allowed to really be doing what they were doing because of the anti-Darwinian ideologies of Trofim Lysenko. And but Believ started by moving it to Siberia. And then he also framed his research only in terms of physiology without any mention of genes. I see. But at one time, Nikita Khrushchev actually came up to the place. Really? Yeah. And he said, what are those geneticists still around? Were they not destroyed? Oh. (laughs) But uh, Belyayev had actually used the protection of his boss's, quote, careful politics. Uh And he was also helped by some favorable articles on genetics written by Khrushchev's journalist daughter. Okay. Yeah. So he probably couldn't, like, even though it wasn't coy at the time, and he never talked about genetics, his own daughter was, like, probably like, no, I like those guys and their foxes. That's speculation on my part, based on the limited stuff I have. Um... But he set down strict guidelines for the program. According to Scientific American, quote, starting at one month of age and continuing every month through infancy, the foxes were tested for their reactions to an experimenter. The experimenter would attempt to pet and handle the foxes while offering it food, and the experimenter noted whether the foxes preferred to spend time with other foxes or with humans. I see. So that's the basically the only test they would experience every month. Okay. And after the fox reached sexual maturity at the age of seven or eight months, they had their final test and was assigned an overall tameness score. Oh, geez. This is so dystopic for the foxes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Holy shit. Um, and here's some more details about the tameness tests, which were still in use as of 2009. When a pup is one month old, an experimenter offers its food from its hand while trying to stroke and handle the pup. The pups are tested twice, once in a cage and once while moving freely with other pups in an enclosure, where they can choose to make contact either with a human experimenter or with another pup. The test is repeated monthly until the pups are six or seven months old. And when they reach sexual maturity, the pups are given a tameness score and placed in one of these three groups. The least domesticated are in class three. Those that allow humans to pet and handle them but do not respond to contact with friendliness are in class two. The ones that are friendly with humans are in class one. Okay. But then, after only six generations, Believ and his team had to, uh, had, had to add a higher category, which is class IE, which they called the domesticated elite. Huh which are eager to establish human contact, whimpering to attract attention and sniffing and licking experimenters like dogs. They also start displaying this kind of behavior before they're a month old. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he got that, and you said four or five generations? Six generations. Six generations. Yeah. So within six generations, he got the domesticated elite. Okay. Um, And once each fox had been classified... Only the least fearful and the least aggressive foxes were selected for breeding. I see. 
So in each successive generation, less than 20% of individuals were allowed to breed. And as we're talking about, the only criterion was human contact and friendliness. Right. And preference for humans over other foxes. Yeah. So let's talk about the results. Um, yeah, it's been running for a while now. Yeah, it's been running since 59. Yep. National Geographic said, by 1964, the fourth generation was already beginning to live up to researchers' hopes. Trout can still remember the moment when she first saw a fox wag its tail at her approach. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I would, too. Sorry. Um, I mean, I would, too. Yeah. Like, that'd be so exciting. Yeah. Just to see what you're, like, thinking might happen, happen. Yeah. Um, and before long, the most tame among them were so dog-like that they'd leap into researchers' arms and lick their faces. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that sounds adorable. Right? I just want to go and rescue some of them. I want one. Um, sometimes their tameness even surprised researchers. Like, once in the 70s, a worker took one of the foxes home as a pet. Uh-huh. And Trout came and visited them. And she found the owner taking his fox for walks unleashed. Oh, my God. She's like, it, like, just like a dog. She's like, don't do that. That belongs to the Institute. And he's like, just wait. And he whistled and said, Coca. And it came right back. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, That's okay. awesome. That sounds so cool. That's like fairy tale shit. Yeah. Honestly. Having a tame fox. Yeah. As a pet. Um, by the time the selectively bred foxes had reached their 10th generation, 18% of the foxes were in the elite category. And by the 20, the 20th generation, that figure had climbed to 35%. Wow. Yeah. And as of 2009, elite foxes made up 70 to 80% of the population. Jeez, OP. <laughs> Isn't that so cool? Holy shit. So they're basically just all tame now. Yeah. They're like basically all. And the ones that aren't in the domesticated elite are, are probably, probably in class, like class one. Class three. Class no no oh, class one. You're right. Yeah, class one, yeah. maybe cla a little in class two. Mm -hmm. A few stragglers. Um, and the the changes weren't only behavioral, but they were also physiological. Okay. Just as Belyayev predicted. Right. So Belyev and his team theorized that adrenaline might share a biochemical pathway with melanin, which controls pigmentation in fur. Uh-huh. And this hypothesis has since been confirmed by research. Really? Okay. Yeah. So Interesting. He, he's just making shit up, and it, it's like, yep, that's true. Yeah, that happens sometimes. <laughs> People get lucky based on speculation. Yeah. Um, they just have an intuition about something. And as they became tamer... More and more of the foxes became began showing signs of the domestication phenotype. So, like Trut said in the early 1980s, we observed a kind of explosion-like change of the external appearance. Okay. Mm -hmm. And after eight to ten generations, the tame foxes began to develop particle-colored coats. Huh. And uh, it was soon followed by the development of floppy ears and rolled tails. Similar to those in some dog breeds. Really? Rolled tails? Rolled tails. Like a Spitz breed dog. Yeah. Interesting. And uh, after 15 to 20 generations, a very small percent of the tame foxes developed shorter tails and legs, and then some of them had underbites or overbites. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's crazy, and they're not selecting for any of that. 
Yeah, but they're not selecting against it they're either. They're not selecting against it either. Um, the experimenters also found that the domesticated fox shows a fear response several weeks later than its wild counter- counterparts. Huh. Mm-hmm. And they said that the delay was, quote, linked to changes in plasma levels of hormones concerned with an animal's adaptation to stress. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it is going through serious developmental changes yep. compared to a wild fox. Because of basically its adrenal levels. Okay. Like after 12 generations of selective breeding, the stress hormone levels in the tame fox's plasma was slightly more than half the level in a control group. Wow. That's really significant. Yeah. And after 28 to 30 generations, the level of had halved again. Jeez. Wow. That pr- had to have been more successful than he could have hoped for. Obviously, yeah. How could you hope for that? Like, anything like that. Like, at the same time, the tame fox's brains had higher levels of serotonin. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they were just more level. They're just more level. They're less like, stressed out. Yeah. And another thing was that the male foxes' skulls gradually became narrower, which were more like those of the females. Okay. And the litters became, on average, one pup larger. Huh. Which, like, maybe they don't have to spend so much time stressed out. They can just, like, birth another pup. Or, I don't know. Yeah, they have more energy to devote to offspring. Yeah. I don't know, huh? That's weird. That's, that's interesting, yeah. And then after 40 generations, Believ produced, quote, a group of friendly domesticated foxes who display behavioral, physiological, and anatomical characteristics that were not found in the wild population. Many of the domesticated foxes had floppy ears, short or curly tails, extended reproductive seasons... <laughs> Changes in fur coloration and changes in the shape of their skull, jaws, and teeth. And they also lost their musky fox smell. Huh. They got less smelly. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> That's really interesting. That's fucking crazy, right? Like You domesticate them and they just like become stop better stinking. for the house. Yeah. Um, he thought these new attributes were extremely similar to the attributes of other domesticated animals which he thought was the result of selection for amenability to domestication. Okay. Um, He wrote that behavior is, quote, regulated by a fine balance between neurotransmitters and hormones at the level of the whole organism. Because mammals from a widely different... Yeah, it is only mammals he was thinking about. Yeah. Because mammals from a widely different taxonomic group share similar regulatory mechanisms for hormones and neurochemistry. It is reasonable to believe that selecting for their similar behavior, tameness, should alter those mechanisms and the development pathways that govern the same things in similar ways. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, Trutt wrote in 1999 that after 40 years of the experiment and the breeding of 45,000 foxes, a group of animals had emerged that were as tame and as eager to please as a dog. Wow, in that short of time. Yeah, 40 years, but 45,000 foxes. That's pretty good amount of fucking foxes. Yeah, that's a decent gene pool. Um, and when I first learned about, I had heard about foxes, I heard that you could actually buy one for $6,000. Is that not true? Yeah, it's not true. Oh. I wanted it so bad. 
I just wanted one. That um, awesome. Yeah, and like the suggestion has been made that the foxes be made available as pets, partly to ensure their survival, should the Novosibirsk colony be wiped out by disease. Oh. So it would make sense. And the New York Times wrote that they, quote, were clean and quiet and made excellent house pets, though being highly active, they preferred a house with a yard to an apartment. They do not like leashes, though they tolerate them. Okay. Yeah. (sighs) They just sound so fun running around your house. Yeah, that would be really awesome. Get a little cage backyard. A little little fox puppy. Um, A kit. But yeah, like... I think they were only really talking about the New York Times about people who worked on the project who were temporarily housing foxes because Ray Coppinger, a dog biologist at Hampshire College in Massachusetts, said that one time Soviet scientists were in a desperate state and Belyayev's foxes were in danger. But his own efforts to, quote, obtain some of the small foxes and help preserve them had been unsuccessful, with the animals apparently having left Russia only once for Finland in a colony that doesn't survive. Huh. Yeah. But I think Weird. probably like why, why I thought... Boredom? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just want to make them actually a real personal thing. They want to, like, keep them... Also, now that people know that this is possible, I'm surprised they haven't been doing it with other animals. Oh, they they did. Even these... Even Belyev started doing it with minks and rats. Oh, shit. Yeah. I want him to do it with, like, a civet, like a polecat. That's why I want him to do it, too. What's a polecat? I'm sorry. It's a civet or, like, a... Hmm. Keep going. Uh, you heard of Kopi Luwak, that coffee that's digested, pre-digested? But what's a civet look like? Is A it, civet. Yeah, what's a civet look like? Um, It looks like... Is it like, like a cat? Does a, it look like It a, looks kind of like a cat. A guinea pig? No, it looks like a cat mixed with... A weasel or a meerkat. Okay. All right. Thank you. Ringtail. <laughs> what? Uh, uh, the ring-tailed cat. I want them to do it to that. It's like okay. a smaller, cuter relative of the raccoon. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see that. That'd be fucking cool. Also, yeah, just like a cute little raccoon, because raccoons are kind of fucking ugly. Yeah, they're kind of scary a little if bit If they're sometimes. a little bit cuter. This one's a lot cuter. It. Does it have hands? Yeah, he has little hands. Nice, because the hands would be so helpful for like a servant pet. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> Help around the kitchen with yeah. the little measuring, <laughs> little measuring cups. Yeah, it could do like up to a quarter cup maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I actually thought that you could buy the foxes, probably because there is this firm called Sibby Fox that was advertising foxes from the lab mm. between 2010 and 2012. Liars. And they were saying they would sell them for, for 6000 apiece. But according to popular science, it's not clear that anyone ever actually received one of these foxes. Oh, it's just a fucking scam. Just a scam. And I mean, I, w- I thought maybe you could buy them because it would fund the science. Yeah. I just want one. And apparently you just can't as an American. Huh. Um, it actually, sorry, I just said that, but it has been reported that two of the foxes were actually shipped to the United States, but they ended up being confiscated at the U.S. border and shipped to Austin Zoo and animal and an animal sanctuary. Oh. Yeah. God, I really want one when I get rich, though. Hopefully they're selling them by the time I get rich when I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can't wait to see you get rich. Right? It's going to be nice. <laughs> Just kidding. I know you think I won't. Um, but, yeah, like, researching this, I watch a lot of videos of supposedly domesticated foxes in America. But in reality, they're just, they must have been rescued tamed foxes, like tamed foxes. Okay. They were rescued. They didn't have floppy ears or shorter curly tails. No, they did have the, not floppy ears and not shorter tails, but they did have part of color coats. Mm, okay. So um, they could have been a little thing, but every one of the owners said they were a huge handful. Hmm. Like, well, they were probably wild animals. Yeah. They said they were mixed between dogs and cats on caffeine. Yeah, like, I've heard people. Yeah, with people everything. with fennec foxes say the same. Yeah, domesticated fennec foxes. Fuck yeah! Oh, oh my god. god, that'd be awesome. Just hang out in your little pocket. Yeah, climb up on you. A teacup Jump fennec. <laughs> A teacup fennec. You just have to have more. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't be satisfied with what you got. <laughs> no, after lemon, maybe I'll get a miniature Aussie. Oh, yeah? Hell yeah. That'd be cute. So I feel you. Um, but yeah, like, I wonder what the difference actually is between those tamed foxes on the YouTubes and, like, the actual domesticated foxes. Well, a tamed wild animal is still a tamed wild animal. It's like the it's like the Siegfried and Roy yeah. uh, tiger, you know? Might just snap and get you. Yeah, I mean, it's still a it's wild like that, animal. You just tamed chimpanzee. it. Yeah, they ripped that lady's face off. Yep. Man, they go right for the face in the genitals, apparently. On its own birthday. Stay away from... They got you cake that day, and you ripped their face (laughs) off. Like, who fucking does that? (laughs) What kind of response is that from a rational person? Here's cake. I'm going to tear your face off. (laughs) Um... So there were, like, a few other things. Oh, also, they let it watch Face Off earlier that day for its birthday. Wait, are you fucking... (laughs) Yeah, I'm fucking with you. (laughs) Thank you. That'd be so fucking (laughs) funny, though, if it had that kind of influence. (laughs) I mean, it wouldn't. That was a terrible event, no matter what. But, (laughs) oh, man. It would have made it funny for a story. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Fucking chimps. (laughs) Yeah. They're terrifying. So, Belyev himself, we're just talking about death. He died of cancer in 1985. Yeah. Not chimps. <laughs> or bonobos. Yeah, or foxes. But, but cancer. It gets a lot more people than foxes. Yeah. Because, yeah, there are probably more, way more people than foxes. Oh, I, I meant and that it kills a lot long. more people than foxes kill people. Oh, yeah. I haven't really heard of many foxes killing people. I've never heard of it. I've seen foxes in the wild, and every time I've seen one, it was running away really, really, really fast. Yeah, I've seen him crossing a road before. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, after he died in 1985, um, his experiment continued by Trut. And she brought national, international... Such a pretty name. <laughs> D-R-U-T-R-E. What? Trut. <laughs> T-R-U-T. Oh. Um, yeah. She brought it to international attention Truth. in a 1999 article in American Scientist. and But by that year, after 40 gener- generations, um, she, sa- she said Believ would be pleased with the posthumous results of his experiment, which has compressed into a few decades an ancient progress 
that originally unfolded over thousands of years, causing the aggressive behavior of our herd's wild progenitors to, quote, entirely disappear. She wrote, We have watched a new morphological traits emerge and a process previously known only from archaeological evidence. Which is kind of cool. That is. Did you hear about, the, speaking of, they just unearthed that 18,000-year-old puppy in Siberia? No, I haven't heard about that. Yeah, and they think it's like... 18,000? Year old, yeah. They think it's really close to the split with wolves, possibly. Yeah, because I've heard a lot of the time that dogs became a thing around 15,000. Yeah, I think right now the best guess is somewhere between 19 and 40 is what I've heard, which is a huge gap. It just keeps getting pushed pushed back. A lot of things like that do get pushed back. Because they start conservative. That's what you should do in that case. I agree. Um, And there was this guy, Brian Hare. He was an associate professor of evolutionary anthropology at Duke University. And he went to Russia like to study the foxes and to study also the unusual ability of dogs to understand human gestures. Okay. Um, Because he wanted to know if dogs' rapport with humans was something the original domesticators of the dog had selected for or whether it had just come along with the tameness as implied by Belyev's hypothesis. I see. Of course, yeah. Yeah. And what he discovered was that the fox kits from his domesticated stock did just as well as puppies in picking up cues from people about hidden food, even though they had almost no previous experience with humans. That's crazy. Isn't that fucking crazy? They're just by being tame, they're now pre-selected to be like more uh, susceptible, uh, more susceptible to, human to understanding humans yeah. and the way we operate. Yeah, man, it's almost oh, well. It it kind of made them more plastic. It did. Just like the ability, like the fact that they didn't have the stress response and had more serotonin kind of probably makes them more open to suggestion and less like fear that they're going to either do something wrong or just that they were in a bad situation, like that they couldn't be curious, really. Right, right. They were more open to actually just learning. Yeah. And so he wrote in a 2005 paper for Current Biology that selection for tameness may have been sufficient to produce the unusual ability of dogs to use human communicative gestures. Okay. And that the inability of wolves to pick up human cues is caused by their fear of humans. Sure. Yeah, they're not... They don't want to try and learn and interpret. What's the point? They're afraid of you. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. This kind of gets to a conversation that me and my brother had, and... It was just about how you might never see a species full range of behaviors unless you take it out of the wild and domesticate it. Because then you're seeing um, what it's able to do when freed by the harsh selection of nature. Nature, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically allowed to diversify and show a great diversity of behaviors as well as forms. Oh, yeah, like... Uh like animals like uh, monkeys and bears that can just survive off human garbage live completely differently. Oh, yep. Um, like you've heard about those bears in Yellowstone. Have you heard about them? Uh, I don't know about There's the bears like, in Yellowstone, no. Basically, at one point in Yellowstone, they were throwing all of the trash through to all of the lodges out at the same spot, 
and all these bears would just come and fucking eat the garbage every day. <laughs> and like they changed their whole life cycle. Oh yeah, that's the everything. that's the high life for bears. <laughs> yeah. Grilled cheese and old soup. Yep. Um but yeah, Harris said Believ and his team didn't select for a smarter fox, but for a nice fox. Harris said they ended up with getting a smarter fox. Even though they selected for a nicer fox, they also got a smarter fox. Right, in a way. In a way. Right, like yeah. it behaves smarter is behaves what he really a, yeah. means. By human what standards, we would call, it's smarter. Yeah, by um, human standards. For what he's looking for. And that's exactly what me and my brother meant really in our conversation was that like, I bet a lot of animals are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. We just don't get to see the full range of their behavior and personality. Finite, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so like as of August 2016, there were 270 tame vixens and 70 males on the farm. Okay. Yeah. And then like other than that. So they don't dramatically increase the numbers then. No. No, I don't think they're trying to, like, explode yeah. it and make it a huge... Well, because, yeah, that'd be resource-intensive. Yeah. Um, then, like, another thing I heard people talk about as far as, like, what the implications of the Fox study are is just about, like, dem domestication in general. And then some people have talked about, like, how it changes actual sizes of brain capacity huh. like olfactory senses are smaller in most domesticated animals oh specifically and uh like humans have like such a tiny olfactory sense and a right. lot of other things like our stress responses and and uh serotonin levels and neonous like behaviors and stuff people say that we're probably the most domesticated animal yeah basically we domesticate ourselves first yeah and then we domesticated other animals to be like us, neotenous. Yeah. Yeah, I, I fully support that hypothesis. I think it's a cool idea, too. Um, I think it's a really cool idea that we basically made ourselves into permanent babies and then started making other animals into babies, <laughs> yeah. too, to live Seriously. with us. We're like, join the baby world. Yeah, and that's why we like cute things so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're obsessed with babies, regardless yep. of whether we want to have babies ourselves. And it, and it turns out if we want like to most easily make a baby-like animal, we just have to breed it to not be afraid. Yep. Yeah, basically, you just... Yeah, that's all you have to do. Yeah. Select for that one criterion. Yep. So that's basically all I got about tame foxes. Dude, anything we else. need to tame some pygmy hippos. Not tame them, sorry. We need to breed domestic Domesticated pygmy, hippos. pygmy hippos. How cute would that be? That would be really cute, but, God, even if, like... Oh, they, even if a bad their poops owner, are the worst. Their poops they, are the worst. They shit them around with a little windmill tail. Yeah, yeah. Their tail just and like then, waves around and, and sprays then the poop everywhere. Even if it was like a really, even if all pygmy hippos were really pretty much good, like the one time that one starts to bite, decides to bite somebody. Oh, even the whole arm's hippo, coming off. Yeah. Uh. -uh. Actually, I, I don't know I, if pygmy you know what, hippos I want, can bite as much as I want. The you know what I really want? Ones. I want domesticated, tiny, like maybe. A uh, foot and a half antelope. So the, oh, like dick dicks. Yeah, like no, maybe not even a foot and a half. Maybe like eighteen inches. Yeah, yeah, dick dicks like, are real small. <laughs> they're eighteen inches. I they're one of the smallest. Like there's Kirk's, I just mean like I think little Kirk's actual gazelle antelope. is really small. Maybe it's smaller and then than the that. Dick dicks really small. I just want like maybe like a hundred of them in my apartment so a lemon can herd them around. Oh, that'd be cute, right? bunch of tiny little gazelles there's also this tiny deer there's also the mara which is a rodent that looks like a deer 
Okay. Like has you horns. You can try that. Antlers? No, it doesn't have antlers, but it has little deer legs. Okay. Even though it doesn't have hooves. Interesting. Huh. No, yeah, I want one of those. And I want one of those fucking foxes, too. Yeah, me too. Right? I don't want a tamed a tamed wild one that was taken from a fur farm in America. I want one of those Russian ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want a domesticated one, not a tame one. Yeah. Like, also, like, I, I wish... I wish I could get a house ferret when they were still around. So, like, back in the day, like, royalty, uh, Europeans didn't like cats. They didn't trust them. They thought that they were, like, kind of, like, morally corrupt animals. (laughs) And so um, what they really did like for mousing and and ratting was um, ferrets. ferrets. And so they had these things called house ferrets, um, which were ferrets that lived in your house. Uh, Yeah, but he was a mongoose in India. Thank you. Um. But yeah, kind of like that, except he was for snakes. Yeah. Um, oh, Ricky Tiki Tavi. It's been a you minute. Did such a good job. Anyway, yeah, I want one of those ha- house ferrets. That yeah. sounds like it'd be cool. They even have those in Dune. Oh, do they? Mm-hmm. Are they uplifted? No. Okay. They do seem like maybe they're they've changed a little bit over time. They also have bed dogs in Dune. A bed dog is like a, a, I don't know if it was ever really a dog, but it was something that was bred basically to the point where now it's just a living bed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And it like breathes <laughs> and you lay on it and it warms you up. That sounds awesome. It sounds sweaty. <laughs> Dogs don't really sweat. Yeah, but I would sweat. Oh, yeah. Laying on top yeah. of, like, think about cuddling somebody in bed. Now think about you can't roll away from them. Yeah. No matter how sweaty you get. That's also kind of how my bed is now because it sinks so bad. Oh, uh, sinks? Yeah. Huh. Sinks in the middle. Hmm. Oh, so you just like. <laughs> yeah, you just end up falling in anyway. Oh, dang. Also, that's I'm like a bad Frank sleeper. and Charlie's bed. Don't poop. <laughs> It'll roll together in the middle and form a massive. Hey, right, you got anything else about uh, foxes specifically? No. Not about <laughs> them specifically. If you're going to restrict me to that, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right that is it for this episode Duxplanations is recorded at rabbit pen studios in eugene oregon it's produced edited and provide them sweet licks by jonathan cunningham art logo and social media by monet moran and my trusty co-host is david gerondale don't do it don't i want to thank all of our patrons on patreon alexis amanda ben Betty, Kevin, Derek, Emily, Hannah, Linda, Nick, Susan, Tanner, Tori, and Trevor. And our only tattoo patron ever is Brittany. I'll punch you, David. I'm serious. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate your support, and it really helps our show. If you, too, want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. All these things help out a lot as we're trying to get more exposure for the show, and we really appreciate your support. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at DeXplanationsPodcast at gmail.com, tweet us at DeXplanations, or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you're on Class IE, the homie elite. Bye now. Thank mm-hmm. you.